Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, that it penetrates us, that it changes us, that it makes us think about things that we wouldn't think about on our own. So, Lord, we do pray that you would be at work now and show us more about your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, next slide, please. Um, just get, okay, I've got a question to begin. It's on the following side, it's this, it's who is Jesus? That's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question for a church. Who is Jesus? Now, what would you say if I grabbed one of the microphones and came down around the pews and walked amongst you and picked on you? Um, or for those of you at home, if I went down to the computer and spotlighted the different things and asked you, who is Jesus? What would you say? Now, don't worry, I'm not going to do that. Um, you can relax. But what would you say? Who is Jesus? Is he a clever teacher? Is he a prophet? Maybe you'd say he's the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. But what exactly do those words mean? Have you ever stopped to think about them, to really think about them? Now, depending on whether you call yourself a Christian or not, you'll have different ideas of who Jesus is. But why do you think that about Jesus? Is it because of what other people think? Is it because of what you've read somewhere? Do you know why? Why do you think what you think about Jesus? Well, I guess most of us here, probably all of us here, will know the miraculous stories that we've just had read from the start of John chapter 6. The feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. I've got two little pictures there of the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. And John, in his gospel, makes a big thing of these miracles. He calls them signs. They're there for a purpose, to show us things about Jesus. They point to something. They point. And now as people see these miracles, they come to different conclusions about who Jesus is and what he's able to do. And unfortunately, it's not just the crowds who get things wrong. The disciples seem to be as clueless as they are as to who Jesus is. So to help us think through and understand who Jesus really is, I want us to notice three dangers, three pitfalls when it comes to Jesus and his signs. And the first danger is referred to in verse 2. It says this in verse 2, a large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. So here was Jesus in the middle of his ministry. Everything seems to be going great. He's been teaching, he's been healing, and so many people are following him. In fact, he can't get away from the crowds. He goes up on a mountain and they follow him there as well. The crowd saw the signs. And what do they want? More signs, more miracles. In fact, the people are so fixated on the miracles that they forget their lunch. All they want to see are the miracles. They don't care so much for who Jesus is or why he came. They just want to come and see the cool things that he can do. 
And here's the problem. The people are so focused on the signs and the miracles that they miss Jesus. They don't realize who Jesus is, that he's the king of all creation. You might remember um, this photo from a few weeks ago. It's a photo with, two, with one sign. Um, I tried to please both um, portions of the, of the congregation have probably offended both in the process. A sign with an arrow to Everton and to Liverpool. Um, the Liverpool fans are probably complaining that they're at the bottom half of the sign rather than the top half. I'm sorry, I didn't design it. Now, depending on who you support, you'll either go straight on or to the right. No fan in their right mind would stop at the sign. They go to where it's pointing. Now, of course, there might be a fan who's come to Liverpool for the first time, and they might pause when they see a sign like this and get their photograph taken beside it. But it's only a pause, isn't it? They keep going to the destination, either Anfield or Goodison Park. And it's the same with Jesus and his signs. We're to go to where they are pointing, not to stop with them. Like the people who hunted for miracles, well, they miss Jesus. It's possible for us to focus on the signs and miss Jesus. See, if we focus on the signs, we'll miss Jesus. And I guess there's a danger for us like that, isn't there? Think of church. Church can become more like an entertainment venue. Maybe we enjoy the music, and that's the main thing that we come for. Maybe we even enjoy the sermons, and we come for them. Some people, they're attracted to a church's architecture, or maybe to its rituals, or maybe its art. Some people come even just for the sacraments. Think of how many families come once for baptism and we never see them again. Or maybe other folk, maybe more in our congregation, come just for Holy Communion and they ignore the rest of the parts of the service. Now, don't get me wrong, singing, sermons, the way our building is designed, the way we do things, these are all important. They're supposed to point to Jesus they're supposed to help with that. And the sacraments of baptism and communion, especially so because they're ordained by Jesus. But what a shame it would be if we focus so much on these encouragements, these remembrances, these effectual signs of grace that we miss Jesus himself. You see, Christianity at the heart is all about a relationship with Jesus. It's about a person. So is there anything that's taking our focus off him? Even good things that are taking our focus off him. See, here's the problem. If we focus on other things, the signs, we'll miss out on Jesus himself and what he really has to offer. So don't stop at the sign. Now, it's not just the crowds who have problems with Jesus and his signs. It turns out that the disciples have problems too. Verses 5 to 7 say this. When Jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? 
He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, six months wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. Jesus asks Philip a tough question. How are we going to feed all these people? And verse 6 tells us that it's actually a question to test him, to see what he's thinking. And unfortunately for Philip, he's forgotten Jesus' previous signs. Philip doesn't think about Jesus and what Jesus has done already. Instead, Philip tries to calculate how much money they'll need. You can imagine him thinking, okay, so 5,000 men, that's maybe about including families and children, that's about 20,000 people. Boots meal deals, well, they cost about £3.39 each. So multiply that up. We're looking about £68,000. Well, that's more than a few wages for most of us, isn't it? Who has that kind of money in their back pocket? And certainly when they're up a mountain. It's far more than we have. Even with a discount, half a year's wages aren't going to get people even a bite. Feeding the crowd is impossible. And then Andrew pipes up in verses 8 and 9. There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? You see, at first it sounds like Andrew's being helpful, doesn't it? He's found some food. But his comment at the end shows what he's really thinking. What are five small loaves and two fish among so many people? What are they? Nothing. They're insignificant. Feeding the crowd is impossible. See, it doesn't occur to Philip or Andrew that Jesus might be able to feed the crowd. They've forgotten Jesus' earlier miracles. Just think of what we've seen as we've journeyed through John already. Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding. Really good wine. Jesus healing a boy from a distance. Jesus knowing things about people without being told. Jesus healing a lame man only by speaking. Signs that point, point to who he is and what he can do. Jesus has power like no other person. These are big signs. These are signs in big flashing neon lights. Just think of Piccadilly Circus. These are hard to miss signs. Jesus is powerful. Trust him. That's what they're trying to say. But the disciples have forgotten Jesus' previous signs. They've forgotten what Jesus can do. They've underestimated Jesus. But Jesus doesn't stop. He does something amazing. Verse 11, Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. It was more than a bite. And that's not all. Verses 12 and 13, When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost, So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. The hungry crowd were satisfied, and twelve baskets of food were left over. 
It was overflowing. And where did all that food come from? Well, it's miraculous, isn't it? Jesus is the only person in the history of the world who could do something like that. It's an amazing miracle. Creating food from nothing, it's an amazing sign. The disciples underestimated Jesus. But we can be like the disciples as well, can't we? We learn in church and in Sunday school all the amazing things that God has done in the past. We even teach them to our children. But then when we get into a sticky situation, we forget them. We act like God has changed, like somehow because of our problems, suddenly God is powerless to help us. So maybe we don't bother praying to him. We end up trusting ourselves, trying to sort it out on our own. We try to fix our own problems. We stress out about them. When in fact, the easiest solution is to trust God and to ask for his help. Or maybe, maybe we make a mistake. We mess up. We do something really bad. And then we forget that Christianity is actually all about forgiveness. We underestimate Jesus. My sin is too big, we say, Jesus would never forgive me. But no, don't underestimate Jesus. Nothing is beyond him. No sin is too big to bring it to Jesus. If you confess, he promises to forgive. Is there something you're afraid to bring to Jesus? Something you're afraid to confess to him that he might say no? Don't be, he won't. You see, like the disciples, we can easily forget Jesus' signs. We can forget what they point to. And so we underestimate what he's able to do. That's the second problem. Well, the third problem is with the crowd again. And at first sign, they seem, first sight even, they seem to have grasped what Jesus' signs are pointing to. Verse 14 says this, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is coming into the world. Yes, well done crowd. Jesus is the prophet who's coming into the world. He is the prophet that the Old Testament said would come. He's the prophet like Moses. If you know Exodus and the stories of God's people being rescued from Egypt, you might have even spotted the similarities. Here's Jesus teaching in the wilderness. Do you remember Moses teaching at Mount Sinai? Jesus is providing food, bread for hungry people. Do you remember the manna in the desert? And these verses that we haven't yet come to that we'll see in a few minutes, Jesus is able to cross water without getting his feet wet. Do you remember Moses crossing the Red Sea? See, Jesus is a prophet like Moses. The crowd appear to have worked it out. They've made the link that Jesus is the promise the prophet God had promised. They even make the link that the prophet will be God's promised king. Hooray at last. They're doing better than the disciples at this point. But then, 
like a runner tripping just before the finishing line, they make a fatal mistake. Verse 15. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They think they can make him king. The crowd have made a mistake. They've misinterpreted the signs and so they misunderstand Jesus. You see, if Jesus can create food for 5,000 men plus their families, well, he has remarkable powers. Jesus can feed people from nothing. Jesus is able to give people what leads to life. And Jesus can do this from nothing. This is what the sign points to. Jesus is the one who can give life. And I'm going to be thinking more about that next week. Jesus is powerful. Yet the crowd think that they can make him king by force. They've misinterpreted the sign. If Jesus can give life, if he really is the prophet and king, as they say, well, then Jesus is the one who's in control, not them. Jesus doesn't lead them to make him king. In fact, if they try to crown Jesus now, it'll do more damage than good. But in reality, they're probably thinking more about their stomachs again, like at the start of the passage. They want something from Jesus. They want him to be their king so that he'll overthrow the Roman occupation. But they've misinterpreted the sign. They misunderstand Jesus. They don't realize who Jesus is or why he's come. And just in case we think, well, we've got it all sorted, we know everything, if we were in that situation, we'd be so much better. We have the Bible. We know it all now. Well, just in case you think like that, let's remember what happens at the end of our reading. Verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were frightened. The disciples get a glimpse of Jesus in his glory. They see how powerful he is. And what is their reaction? It's one of fear. They were frightened of him. They were in awe. They saw how awesome he is. I wonder how many of us have ever had a godly fear of Jesus, a godly fear of God. He is in control, not us. And I think it would be very good for us, and indeed our whole church, our whole denomination, and our leaders, if we remembered that God is God, and if we feared overstepping the mark with him, Jesus is in control, not us. Jesus is in control. You see, Jesus withdrew from them because he knows his time to be crowned will come later on. But it won't be a crown of gold, 
it will be a crown of thorns. And Jesus won't be enthroned on a golden seat. He'll be enthroned on a wooden cross. And Jesus didn't come to rescue the crowd from political slavery to the Romans. He came to rescue us from a far greater slavery, slavery to sin. See, that's what these signs point to. That's who these signs point to. Jesus is God. Jesus has come to rescue us. He's come to give us life to the full. He's come to do it his way, not our way. So let's not miss what these signs point to. Let's not miss Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came here for us. We thank you that he did so many things when he was here. He taught, he did miracles, he healed people, he brought comfort and joy. But Father, we know how easy it is for us to focus on the things that he did rather than him himself. Please would you help us to see what the signs are pointing to, to who Jesus is and to what he's done. And Father, we pray that we wouldn't forget them. And Father, we pray that we wouldn't misinterpret them. We pray in fa instead, Father, that you would fill our minds of Jesus, that we wouldn't underestimate him, that we wouldn't misunderstand him, and that we certainly wouldn't think that we are bigger than him. But please help us to get the right view of Jesus. And more than just the right view, please would it deepen our relationship with him. Remembering that Jesus is a person to get to know rather than a person to be studied. So please, Father, would you grow us in that? Would you warm our hearts? And Lord Jesus, please, would we love you more as a result and trust in you? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.